Modern Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back for the week of June 10th, 2018, the third Sunday after Pentecost, or otherwise known as Ordinary 10. And I'm excited to have you here. I'm super excited to have you here, but I will say straight up, this has been one of the harder weeks to actually bring this all together, and I'll explain in a little bit why it was, and it has been so difficult. But first and foremost, I have a couple plugs to get out of the way. First, if you haven't already followed us on Twitter, our Twitter is Faith and Sci Pod. Faith and S-C-I-P-O-D. That's where we'll send out our podcast question every week that we have sent out, just kind of questioning, trying to get some engagement. And I'd love to hear some feedback, especially after this week. And you'll understand why here in just a few minutes. The second thing is I want to do a quick shout out to Reverend Mel Rao. Uh, He's retiring at the end of the month. He's having a party actually for the week of June 10th. So I just want to say props to you. Reverend Mel Rao. He's been my pastor for almost 20 years. And so I just wanted to give him a quick shout out and thank you for your service, for your time preaching the word. It's been a great run. But, and also I want to do my quick shameless plug uh, for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. It gives me, since I'm not an ordained minister, some direction on where to go with this podcast. They have a great Sermon Braidways podcast, along with commentaries and discussions about things like faith and science. And I'd highly recommend checking them out. But one final thing that I also want to do is a congratulatory thanks for the Northwood Synod of Wisconsin. Just elected a new bishop. I ended up attending as a visitor and watched as we elected Lori Scout Anderson as our new bishop. And it was really interesting to kind of see the inner workings of how that all works and some different things that are going on in the synod and how... Partner synods, like for the Northwood Synod of Wisconsin's partner synod is Malawi, and the different things that have been going on in Malawi with their faith journey. So it was really fun and interesting to see how that all worked. We get into this week, starting with the gospel text of Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. And this is early in Jesus' ministry. We have Jesus just can't go anywhere without having a crowd of people come. He has where it states right in the first verse that he's they're so crowded he can't even eat. The scribes are coming out and are making essentially false claims about Jesus, saying he's from Satan. He so since he's casting out demons, he's from Satan. And Jesus uses two parables to kind of help them wrap their head around that Satan isn't having a civil war, that he's opposite of Satan, and that he encompasses us as a larger family. And this is going to be a big point that I'm going to be driving home my point is off this reading. And it took a while for me to kind of figure out how I was going to come at this reading. It's a very interesting and complex reading, but once you kind of unlock it, it opens up so much. The first reading, our Old Testament reading, is from Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. This is where the Lord is coming to Adam and Eve after the first sin. 
And after that first sin, you know, he's he goes to the man. He's kind of saying, what have you done? He blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. And then we kind of have this, how it affects things moving forward. And this is kind of the beginning and the, well, the final straw of us getting kicked out of Eden. The alternative first reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 11, optionally 12 through 15, then 16 through 20, and optionally chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. And this is a very complicated read in with regards to thinking about how this affects, again, Israel going forward. So we have 1 Samuel, and as we had last week, the call story as the alternative reading. Here you have Samuel now as an old man talking to these people. It gets presented to him that his sons have been doing what Eli's sons did for him, that they're stealing from the temple, they're they're not being trustworthy, And the people want a king. And Samuel goes through and lays out how you don't want a king, how he's going to steal from your sons, from your daughters, your fields. But they want a king. And we have to remember, for this to work, Israel has been being attacked by different tribes consistently. So they want that leader. And even if it's going to be something that is going to be detrimental to them in the long run, they want that leader. And so that's where that story comes out of. Even as Samuel kind of warns, this is not what you want. This is a different path than what you want. We'll get into that. The psalm this week is Psalm 130. And it's, again, it's kind of this this crying out from the heart type of thing of that the Lord hears us. When we need to have forgiveness, we need to have the type of thing. It's kind of the the little bit of upbeat in a lot of heavy readings this week. So I recommend taking a little read on that. The second reading or New Testament reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 13 through chapter 5 verse 1. And again, this is, I think, a very consoling reading from Paul talking about how the inside of us because of Christ is reborn every day. And it's from that that we try going forth and showing the glory of Christ to others around us and that that is so important. So as I was kind of going through these texts and was looking through these texts and trying to figure out how am I going to bring science into this, I ended up stumbling across on YouTube actually a really good little short video. It's six and a half minutes long. And this guy kind of in a cartoon version, kind of explaining what was going on. And it breaks it down into a couple ways, but gets it into the the regard of when the scribes are talking to Jesus early on, you know, they say that he has Bezebel and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons from verse 22, which then Jesus responds in the end of 23, how can Satan cast out Satan? And he gets into how that kingdom isn't shrinking. It's not falling on itself. And the metaphor that this person used was kind of like a civil war, that during a civil war, you're going to have somebody, the overall power of that is going to shrink. And that that isn't the case. 
that isn't the case of what is going on with Satan here. We then have, secondly, he has talking about it. How do you steal from a strong man's house? You tie him up, which as you start thinking about that infers that you either have someone smarter and or stronger to be able to take away these things that the strong man is holding dear, which in this case would be Satan. And as I started thinking about this and going through this, I started thinking about it from the idea of science in general. And it got into this easy rabbit hole for me of why do I do this podcast and why am I so passionate about this and why do I see it the way that I do? And a lot of it comes from how I was even trained as a scientist, as a biologist, to be able to talk about things. And there are certain words, certain phrases that people use on a consistent basis that drive me absolutely bonkers because the word has changed or their interpretation of what they're using the word for is not the same definition that I have. And I can attach a video actually from John Green talking about how we've had like the word Nimrod from scripture, meaning a skillful hunter in Genesis, to whereas if I called someone a Nimrod now, I'm usually not calling them a skillful hunter. I'm usually, it's more of an insulting term. And so the word to me that I really dislike people using is proof. Proof. And Proof to me from a science context gets used in mathematical formulas to describe and help lead to evidence, strong evidence of science law to show how different things work, like how the Pythagorean theorem works. Science doesn't prove anything. Science gives evidence to something. And there's a big difference there. A lot of people see scientific proof as something 100%, that science proves this. And the reason as a scientist we shouldn't be saying proves is we aren't 100% confident with anything. We want the idea of science is to constantly grow, constantly challenge, so you have to leave in a reasonable amount of doubt that something could change. An interesting one with, and again, another video kind of going through scientific terms that they were looking at is Einstein's theory of relativity, which is the definition that we use as a theory and gives us scientific law, the math behind it, to our understanding of physics. But as we've furthered the study of physics, when we start getting down to the particle level, what Einstein has thrown out as his theory doesn't work at the particle level. Is Einstein's work wrong? No. Einstein's work describes what we can see. Einstein's work is phenomenal. What it needs is somebody to be able to describe what is going on at a particle level to add to the work. See, that's where science is constantly moldable, and that's why there isn't proof A few weeks ago, I remember talking about Paul Wallace after I just went down and saw him at Andrew Root's conference, and I had dug up the notes again, and I wanted to reiterate a couple things that he talked about. The aspiration of faith and science are equal. Science 
cannot stand on its own as a life view. It's a skeleton, but it can't stand on its own. Science needs context. Science is moldable, movable. It's describing something. One of the things for me, I love ecology. I love trying to understand ecosystems and how ecosystems work. With that understanding, though, things constantly are changing in an ecosystem. If we try to describe an ecosystem right now, by the time the paper's published, by the time I even have the results, the ecosystem has slightly changed. Maybe not a lot, but it's changed. It's like population data. By the time that we gather how many people live in a city, it's very likely that you've maybe had births and deaths at the same time. So be able to get an exact number, exactly describe something is extremely, and if not impossible to do. But that's where faith steps in. Because faith has always been about everything, according to Paul Wallace. And he's actually coming out with a book. I'm really excited to see and read what that's all about. But that's the thing that we're talking about here. Now, why have I gotten off on this huge tangent? It's the 21st century version of what Jesus is talking about here in Mark. Jesus is being misunderstood. Jesus is being, essentially, the scribes are saying, this is not the Messiah. This guy is crazy. His followers, his families are trying to bring him back because they think he's gone loony. And Jesus is saying, no, I have not gone loony. You guys are not understanding the work of what I'm trying to do. And then, as his family then meets him at the end and he hears that his family is there, he changes everything yet again and states that this whole crowd of broken people, as long as they claim him as Lord, are his family. And that's very important to understand. I see God in science, in nature, out in the world. That's a lot where I see it. I see him in people too, but I see it in the broader context. But that's where my skeleton comes from, the faith that I have in Christ being there, that I can observe him, that I can see him. And I understand this idea that science is a constant moving target. I'll attach an article that it's a very short read. I'd highly recommend reading it, talking about how we assume proof as like a binary concrete yes or no, where science deals with the I don't know, I can't understand, because science doesn't always work in a yes, no. One of the things like I distinctly remember as a freshman in college sitting in one of my entry-level biology classes and the, the prof was up there talking to us and students were saying proof and she would stop whatever we were saying and say rephrase that because we'd have to say support because she says science doesn't prove anything and you have to get used to that and it's going to drive lawyers nuts. Because lawyers want proof. But as a scientist, you can't say proof. You deal everything in 95% confidence intervals, which is a curve that you, you can form statistically to say that there's a 95% chance that the result will fall within these parameters. So we can, a lot of, one of the things that you'll hear if you go to like science conferences and different things, with 95% confidence, we can explain this, or we can predict this, or we can, 
But there's always some type of interval, maybe a small, sometimes they'll even get to like 97.5%. But there's always an interval left for the unknown, which then she was talking about this professor the opposition will love it because you're leaving the option of doubt there. But that's what you have to do as a scientist. And I'll leave this article. There was even one off a rational wiki that actually does a good job of explaining this. And a quote from there, science is a method, however, deals not in proof, but in evidence and perhaps disproof when the evidence distracts from the hypothesis. We deal with evidence. We deal with support. And that's where a viewpoint, a life view based on science will fail because it is only there to support. And if that is the main thing that you think you're supporting, you will get to points where we can't describe things. It's not that we're getting to a God of the gaps theology. It's that you're getting to a point where We just don't have the technology to be able to describe something, and we may never have some of this. And that's where, with faith, I can say that seeing the beauty of the creation up to the point that I can understand and understand that it might not be my job or my role to understand everything, that there is somebody greater than I who does have this understanding. This is like the huge argument. This is the the fundamental reason on why I do this podcast. I do this podcast to help give leaders in the church support that, yes, we believe based on faith, but we're not believing irrationally, that there is support to what we are doing, to what our beliefs are. But it's from this understanding that we can move forward and actually look into some of these other readings that I actually it's really beautiful how they start to tie in. Us being human, us understanding that we cannot understand everything, us understanding that we're going to make mistakes with our hypothesis. We're going to have theory is a hypothesis that has been supported by multiple studies multiple times over a period of time. And sometimes we find that we have an error in there, that we make a mistake, and that maybe it didn't describe things the way we expected, or maybe we find a question that we can't understand right now. And that's where I think like Genesis 3 starts to come in. It's easy for us as humans to put the blame on something else. It's easy for us to blame something we don't understand. It's easy for us to put up fences. And that's what we can easily see here with man and women blaming other things. But I think there's a key point here too. Two things. First, it's where the snake, the serpent, will crawl the rest of its life, which kind of supports the the claims that we were talking about a couple weeks ago with the seraphim. If you remember, seraphim have six wings, two to hide their face, two to hide their feet, and two to fly with, and they're a snake. But second, creation is tied right in with this. And the consequences that we endure as humans being kicked out of the garden, but that also the snake has the slither, that it's these consequences of mistakes that we make sometimes with our faith, our mistakes in doubt, mistakes in understanding, that end up leading to us being kicked out of the garden or us feeling the consequences of what we're going to do. 
That's what is echoing in the Samuel reading. That here he's clamoring, telling you, you don't want a king. You don't want a king. But we're so focused on the here and now that we're being attacked by these other tribes of people. And we need a leader that's right here physically so that we know what to do. That we don't want to pray. We don't want to just have belief. We want something physically here right now. And God says, okay, but you're going to live with the consequences. And we do get some good kings out of it, but even the good kings make mistakes. And we get some terrible kings out of it. But that's where the second half of the Mark reading and the second reading from 2 Corinthians, that it's from that love of broken people that Jesus comes in to our lives and is there for us and is trying and realizes that as long as we are trying to do it in faith and we admit when we have made a mistake, that he's going to make us anew, renewed every day as we walk through. Even as our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Verse 16 in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are getting renewed from Christ with this. But the one thing in all this that I want to emphasize, because it's partially who I am and who I am as a scientist and who I am as a person, where many people will consider the fall here in Genesis chapter 3, realize that this is not just a human thing. Notice how creation is tied into this. His own creation is part of this. His own serpent that he created will now suffer from this. We are all tied together. This whole creation in us is part of God's gift to us. And I think it's for me, when I go to church, it's so easy for us to just talk about human issues and not see or realize the natural issues that are going on around us. And I can attach some different things. Some of it's even just the cute stuff that we end up finding on Facebook or something that that pops across our screen and, oh, isn't that cute? But I think it's also how God deals with us. We can see out in nature. And what I mean by this is I'll attach some pages. I think at least I have at least one here of orphan animals adopted by another species of animal. And so I have one here with a boxer adopting a goat, cats and squirrels, a peacock and a goose, pointer, the dog, and an owl. The list goes on and on. I've seen dogs and elephants. How many times have we heard the stories of these wild animals realizing that they're in distress, that they need help? And so they come up to us, the human, and say, can you help me in their distinct way? That's what this is about. We are all in this together. It's not just a human thing. This is a natural thing. And I really believe that when Christ is talking about his brothers and sisters as a large family, it extends way beyond humankind. This is his creation. We're the gardener helping to take care of it. But it doesn't mean that the owner of the garden doesn't care about the garden and doesn't care about the animals living in the garden. By no means. It matters to him. That's one of the things that I 
really feel passionate about. And I think whoever decided on the text was trying to bring out is an underlying theme. This isn't just about us as people. This is about us as a larger world or universe community. And we have to remember that we're not shrinking God down to just Jesus in this time. He's, I think, really talking about as a larger group of people. So I hope I explained why I'm so passionate about not using the word proof and why, for me, it's so important that we say science supports our faith. That's, again, the reason why I made it the Faith and Science podcast. The faith has to come before the science. I have stated that before, and it's, it's so important. It's so important. Our faith has to come before whatever science can say. I would love to hear your questions if you tweet back at me this week, if you have questions on how does this work with faith and science, and I'd love to grapple with it and discuss it with you. I'd love to hear this week as a podcast question Does it make sense how science cannot stand on its own? And if I need to discuss this further, I'd love to discuss this further. It's something I distinctly remember when I started getting into this in college and wrestling with this. How does creation and evolution work together? I do see them working together. Believe it or not, I do. I don't think it's this crazy thing that people really struggle with. I don't see it as nearly as big of a thing. And there's plenty of things I can debate with you on and we can talk about if that's something that you really want to talk about. But again, science can't stand on its own. It needs a context. And that's where faith steps in. Faith is trying to describe everything. We have a book that's trying to be a history book of biology. It's trying to be all those subjects in school that you had. And it's amazing how well it actually does. It really is. So again, I thank you for tuning in. I hope if you have questions, reach out to me, talk to me. I would love to develop this community. There's things on the horizon I'm really excited about. It keeps me going, gives me energy. There's ideas that I have that I'm having to trust God and hold off on when I want to move quicker than maybe what I need to right now. But there's some things I'm seeing on the possible horizon that I'm really excited about. And I think you guys will be when we're ready for that point. But again, thank you for tuning in, but we'll wrap it up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.